The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to Children's Church, please join the volunteers back by the Children's Church sign. If it's the child's first time going to Children's Church, parents, please go with them to get them checked in. Good morning. Uh Uh-oh. My name is Mark. I'm on staff here. Uh, And just one more plug for serve and grow when you go out there and there's tons of different ministry areas to sign up for uh my family and i we came here and and we just were able to kind of worship for about a year and a half before i came on staff and they had one of those right when we started so we got plugged in and it was the best thing because you find friends and community and it's a great way to grow in your faith uh serving others so or just go for the donuts and just sign your name somewhere you'll you'll find a good place to to do it there's so many vital places in ministry uh, and you'll already do a good job of that so find a spot get plugged in uh, a few weeks ago, my son Jude and I sat down and had one of those kind of coming-of-age moments. It's that crucial time in a boy's life where his dad sits him down and watches the first Lord of the Rings movie with him. <laughs> Before you criticize me, he did read the books first, so I'm not like a monster. Uh, but the Lord of the Rings is this epic story. Tolkien was a brilliant Christian author. And something I've always appreciated about the books and the movies uh, is that at the very center of the story is friendship. It's community. Specifically, this new community was, that was formed around the quest to destroy the One Ring and save Middle-earth. Uh, most of the members of the Fellowship, they hated each other when they first came into it, except for the hobbits. They just loved everyone and loved food. A lot of hobbits here. I'm one of them. Uh, but by the end of the story, they're all best friends. They're putting themselves in danger to save their friends. They would lay down their lives to save each other. Uh, because that shared experience, a new community was formed out of people who would otherwise not want anything to do with each other. Uh, This new mission brought new community, new values, and it drove every single one of their decisions. 
Uh, We started a new sermon series in the book of Acts a few weeks ago. This is the New Testament book of Acts. Luke wrote it. Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke. And Acts picks up right where that gospel ends off. The resurrected Jesus has ascended into heaven. Uh, The Holy Spirit descends to dwell within all those who follow Jesus. Those who put their trust in Jesus are given power by the Holy Spirit, and they're given a mission. Uh, And that mission is to bear witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To bear witness to the truth of the gospel, that by faith in Jesus, you have been made right with the God of the universe. That, That perfect obedience of Jesus can count as your perfect obedience if you put your hope in him. And as Jesus is even now making all things new, he will one day come again, bringing heaven to earth. Everyone who considers themselves a Christian, you have been given a mission. And that mission is for you to go. You see it at the the end of the book of Matthew, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them. We're going to look at this more in depth later, but part of what it means to baptize someone is to publicly welcome them into this covenant community. And so with all that as a background, uh, what we see in our passage this morning is the birth of Christian community. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends to dwell in believers Peter preaches a sermon, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And then, that was right before our passage this morning, what we see in our passage is a community of men and women who are not only laser-focused on worshiping God and learning more about him, but they are incredibly generous. And what I want to pitch at you this morning is that true change and truly following Jesus is only possible in community. Right? To follow Jesus the way he is meant to be followed is only possible if we are following Jesus together. Uh, the Christian life is not a solo mission. Right? It, it has to be done in community. And so that, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, yes, this is history. It happened 2,000 years ago, but it's very relevant and powerful for us today. So would you help us? who know you see the truth and see you even more clearly, uh, would you help those who are uh, seeking to see the truth as well? Would you make yourself plain to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be curious, if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, if you were to ask some of your non-Christian friends what they think about kind of Christian friendship and Christian community, what they would say. Or if you're here this morning and you're not sure what to make about Jesus and the Bible, I'd be very curious to get your thoughts on how you've kind of observed Christian friendships and community, the church. Uh, College students, if you weren't here earlier, we are throwing a big lunch for you guys next Sunday. Please come. Even if you don't know what you believe, just come get free food. This church eats well, which I love. I grew up Baptist, so it just kind of grows right into that. Um, And please bring a friend. Even if they want nothing to do with Christianity, bring them, feed them. And I would love to get your thoughts and their thoughts about kind of the perception of Christian friendship, Christian community. Um, Also, please let them know they are welcome to come here as long as they want. They don't have to decide, like, on the second Sunday what they believe. Just keep coming back. Regardless of what you believe or regardless of what your experience with the church has been in the past, I think it's safe to say that the description of the church, the early church we get here, it is undeniably attractive. Is it not? Uh, Look back starting at verse 44 in chapter 2. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
these people believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They receive the Holy Spirit, and then they immediately start holding their money and their time and their food and their homes with open hands. Chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And later it says, there's not a needy person among them. It's beautiful, isn't it? How did they get to that place? How did these men and women who suddenly find themselves in a new community get to that level of generosity and selflessness? Four things we see in our passage, and they're all in that first verse, so we were just going to hunker down there this morning. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So let's start with that first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, Another way to say this would be that they devoted themselves to the word of God, Scripture. The New Testament was written almost entirely by apostles, men who traveled and lived with Jesus, and they were sent out personally by Jesus to go teach. Um, The only ones that weren't written by apostles are Mark's gospel and Luke's books. Uh, And both of those guys traveled extensively with Peter and Paul. So they, they learned straight from the apostles. Those guys had a direct commissioning and authority to go preach They're inspired by the Holy Spirit to write scripture. Uh, There's authority in the apostles' teachings. So what's the first mark of authentic Christian community? It's men and women who devote themselves to God's word. So on a Sunday morning at Restoration, we don't gather primarily to hear a pep talk or to hear like some life hacks that we watched in a TED talk earlier. As fun as that would be, that's not what we do here, right? We gather around God's word. We submit to God's word. And we submit to God's way of viewing the world and ourselves. We've we've been saying over the past few weeks, but in the book of Acts, the the central claim of Christianity is that truth and hope and salvation and acceptance has to come from outside of us in, right? So we devote ourselves to God's word. We are submitting ourselves to a higher authority. Essentially, we're opening ourselves up to saying, God, you have the right to say no to anything in my life. It's a scary thing for us. To read the Bible then, it's not to read with a mindset where you just kind of filter out anything that doesn't go with what you already believe. Have you done that? I mean, sometimes you have to actively kind of switch off things that you think, well, I don't want to believe that or that doesn't really fit with how I view God. Um, God, So you, you read the Bible and you let God give you a vision of God, of yourself, your sexuality, your time, your money. Uh, Every aspect of your life is on the table for God to speak into. Everything. And so when these men and women, they heard the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, not only are they forgiven by faith, uh, but they're also given an inheritance of life as it is meant to be lived, in the presence of God, in a renewed creation, in a world without sin forever. If that's what they had coming to them, then of course they're going to be marked by this absurd generosity. Right. If that's what they had coming, then no amount of money, no amount of stuff that they could store up for themselves could hold a candle to what is coming to them. And if your faith is in Christ, you have that same inheritance coming to you. C.S. Lewis, he was a famous author and theologian. He came to know Jesus later in his life. And I think he described himself as like one of the most reluctant converts. He just fought against it and fought against it and finally broke through. Uh, Later in his life, he started to make a decent amount of money. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of really popular books. He started teaching at Cambridge. And so he would have been a very wealthy man, but he was so changed by the gospel that he just started giving away all of his money, all of his royalties from books. 
so much to the fact that someone who was kind of helping him with his affairs, they're like, hey, you need to keep a little bit of money so you can pay your taxes at the end of the year. Like he was getting in trouble. He didn't have enough money to pay taxes. It's funny to hear him talk about it. He's like, if I give it away, why do I have to pay taxes on this? Uh, probably his most famous book, Mere Christianity, this is what it says. And this is cutting. It says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. You will become more and more generous the more and more you understand what Jesus has done for you and what he will one day do. And if you want to grow more and more in the knowledge of Jesus, you've got to spend time in his word. Because saying that you love Jesus but don't really care about the Bible is kind of like a husband saying, well, I love my wife, but I don't really want to read her texts. <laughs> right? You can laugh at that. I mean, uh, it's like, you, you know, I love my friend, but I don't really care what they had to say to me. First service laughed at that. Maybe, maybe that hits a little too close to home to you guys. I don't know. <laughs> but contrast that with verse 46, where it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Christian community looks like worshiping God together, being people of scripture together, eating together, being generous together, and also being well thought of in the community because of how joyful and generous we are. There's a lot here, but look at the second mark of what the church was doing from the very beginning. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's God's word, and to the fellowship. The fellowship. I'll try to refrain from any more Lord of the Rings references this morning. But. Uh, so not only does the church gather around God's word, the church gathers around each other. Fellowship. Or as my very southern grandparents used to say, fellowship. Uh, a few weeks ago, about 65 or 70 men loaded up into canoes and paddle boards and floated down the river and got home at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Probably two-thirds of the women of this church go to the YMCA and work out together. Uh, Marnie has worked tirelessly to get most of y'all into city groups. There's like over 350 people in city groups, and it's beautiful. When, whenever Holly and I go on a date, we usually see little pockets of restoration people just hanging out and eating together. And it's one of the most encouraging things as a pastor to see men and women who worship together on Sunday mornings and still hang out with each other throughout the rest of the week. I don't want to toot our own horn, but we're doing a good job as a church. We're doing something right when you meet some of your best friends on a Sunday morning or at a weekly Bible study. It's a good thing. When you don't just love each other as Christian brothers and sisters, but you actually like each other. You like spending time with each other. And I think it's one of the strongest arguments against this idea that you can follow Jesus on your own without having other people speak into your life. Right? We want to be a social church, not because it's the cool, hip thing to do, but because Christianity assumes that you are going to be living your Christian life in fellowship alongside other people following Jesus. With older men and women who have experience and wisdom to give to you, and with younger men and women who you can share your experience and wisdom with. I want you to think about this. The next time you sit down and read anything from the New Testament, I want you to ask, would this make sense if I were not in a local church? Would this make sense if I were not in Christian community? And 85% of the time, the answer is going to be no, it would not make sense. So much of the New Testament is written to churches uh, addressing issues that popped up because people were living in such close community. Um, and God's answer is to that is never, well, just go off into the woods and have church by yourself and listen to a Tim Keller sermon. 
as, uh, as appealing as that sounds, and that's okay to do it. Uh, but God's answer to troubles in the church is never to withdraw and isolate yourself. It's actually to push in deeper. And it's to confess your sins to each other uh, and to ask each other for forgiveness, all with the understanding of this incredible forgiveness and reconciliation you already have by the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's the ugly, sticky parts of being in fellowship with each other where we can see the gospel shine the brightest. Where you know that you once were an enemy of God, and instead of obliterating you, Jesus became a man. He suffered, he bled and died for you, so that by faith in Jesus, you can become sons and daughters of God. Jesus died and rose again to make his enemies his friends. And so when you do go sideways with people in the church, and you will, you will offend someone. You will be offended by someone. Uh, If you are committed to Jesus and you're committed to living in community with other Christians, and this community is teaching you that it's not all about you, then we can start to view conflict as a way to display the truth and the power of the gospel, right? The power of the Holy Spirit to bring grace and peace where otherwise there would just be a fractured, broken relationship. Uh, Look back again at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and thirdly, to the breaking of bread. Uh, in the original Greek, there's a definite article before that breaking bread. So it's the breaking of bread. Uh, so it's not just eating together. It is. Their communion used to be kind of a big meal. Um, but it's talking about what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, the breaking of bread. The church has two practices that Jesus gives us, two sacraments, and the Lord's Supper and baptism. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, and on a Sunday like today, in the earlier service, we got to see baptism. We baptized Sammy Mackey, and it was beautiful. Uh, Baptism is one's entrance into this covenant community, and the Lord's Supper is this regular meal reminding us and strengthening our belonging within this Christian covenant community. That our place in God's church was bought for us by the body of Christ broken and his blood shed for us. And so when the church devoted itself to the breaking of bread, it was keeping on the forefront. Listen to what Steve says as he prepares us to take the Lord's Supper. It says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's what? Death until he comes. We are keeping on the forefront the death of Jesus for sinful men and women. Uh, I grew up in the church that didn't have weekly communion, and I didn't have weekly communion until after college. Uh, And now it is one of the most life-giving parts of the worship service to be able to come to this table every single week. Uh, Because whenever I'm coming to the table, the message is the same. And whenever you're coming, it's the same. This table just levels the playing field for everyone in this community. Uh, And it says no matter how well you've behaved this past week, no matter how you have just royally blown it, uh, everyone is coming to this table in total dependence on God. For those coming with our heads hung low in shame, it lifts you up and saying, look at how much Jesus loves you. And for those of us coming a little more haughty, a little more prideful, thinking, I did a really good job this week, this table kind of humbles you. And it says, outside of the sacrifice of Jesus, you are not right with the God of the universe. The Lord's Supper, it's an exercise in humility, as well as a foretaste of the feast to come in God's kingdom. So the church is marked by a devotion to God's word, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, and finally to prayer. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you felt really good about the first three, you might not feel as good about prayer. Uh, And I want you to know that you're not alone in that. Prayer is so easy for us to just sit aside until later when things have kind of calmed down 
or to only pray when we really need something, we really want something, or things are really scary. But again, to relate it back to our friendships and our marriages, why do we so often neglect talking to the God of the universe who knows us through and through, has ultimate power, and who loves us? And I could get up here and kind of give you a five-step program on how to pray better. And a lot of us really, really like that. We like kind of ticking off the boxes and saying, okay, I'm good. Uh, instead, I would just encourage you to carve out an extra 10 minutes a day for prayer. Whether you're praying a lot or you're not praying at all, 10 minutes. Maybe that means wake, setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier, taking 10 minutes out of your lunch break, or at the end of the day, just gathering whoever you live with, roommates, spouses, kids, and just praying together for 10 minutes. Be intentional, and I think you'll see the beauty in talking and praying with God. And if you're at a total loss of how to pray, it's new to you, or you're just kind of stuck, I would say go to the book of Psalms and just read the prayer and kind of pray through it. It's such a good, honest look at how we are to relate to God. I know I just told you I wouldn't give you a to-do list, and I kind of just did that. Uh, But spending time with God in prayer is like spending time with someone who knows you deeply. They know all your junk, and yet they refuse to run away. Jesus is the ultimate best friend in that sense. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he'll never go away from you. He knows you to your depths, and he loves you to the skies. So the question is, how do we grow in these things? If, if this is an attractive view of what Christian community is supposed to look like, how do we do this? How do we grow in this? How do we devote ourselves to God's word, to the fellowship, to sacraments, and to prayer? Well, how do you devote yourselves to anything? Is it not something that's captivated your heart? Something you find lovely and life-giving and you go all in? And then when you find other people who find the same thing lovely and life-giving, you become best friends and it just kind of keeps growing and growing. Uh, This weekend is the Moon River Music Festival and there are some devoted people at that music festival. There are people who have driven hours and hours to come see this one band and they're so excited about it. And when the band plays, they see people next to them and they say, you too? Right? You heard that C.S. Lewis quote? He's like, friendship is about this one central love that these two people have. And they see, look at each other and say, you love this too? And then they put their arms around each other and they cry and they talk about how many times they've seen this band and how the music means so much to them. I'm really excited to do that with Nickel Creek tonight. Uh, but it's complete strangers find their same love and community is formed. Right? Rituals are created. You want to be with the same people who love the things that you love. Christian community The church will flourish when we all have Jesus as our main, central, ultimate love. And really, we're just doing what Jesus did as a church. Think back to John's gospel. How does it start out? In the beginning was the, what? The Word. Jesus is called the Word. He's the embodiment of God's spoken truth and power and authority. When Jesus began his ministry, did he do it all by himself? No, he gathered 12 men. He brought in Mary and Martha, and his, his circle just keep, kept growing and growing the more he did ministry. Jesus ate and prayed with people all the time, right? We would not think Jesus was a very good guest because he would just come up to you and be like, hey, I'm going to come eat at your house tonight. I want you to, come, I want you to feed me. Uh, the very last thing Jesus did before he goes to the cross is he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper, and then he spends a, spends a su- substantial amount of time praying to the Father. And as messy as the church can be, Jesus thought it was worth dying for. And if you follow Jesus, you are promised this eternal inheritance, adoption into his family, and a seat at his table. Focus on the love of God towards you in Christ, and you will find yourself starting to look like Jesus. 
devoted to God's word, devoted to the community of believers, nourished by the sacraments, and being a person of prayer. Amen? And let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can look at his life and see an absolutely perfect human life. He didn't have much money. He didn't have much social status. Scripture says he was a man of sorrows. Uh, But he loved the word. He loved people. He loved eating with people and praying. So, Father, would you reorient our loves? Would you let Jesus be our highest love and let everything else be ordered by that? Help us to stick with the church. Uh, The closer we get to each other in community, the more stuff's going to happen. And we're going to offend each other. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. Uh, We pray for true reconciliation uh, between friendships and marriages. Lord, you let this place, uh, this church and this city, be a place where your gospel truth shines in all aspects of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We pray for true reconciliation uh, between friendships and marriages. Lord, you let this place, uh, this church and this city, be a place where your gospel truth shines in all aspects of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.